Hello and welcome to Platt's Brussels to Beijing Commodity Policy Podcast, where we examine how changes in regulation and government policy affect commodity markets in Europe and Asia. I'm Sebastian Lewis, Platt's Editorial Director for China, and today here in our Singapore offices, I'm joined by Hong Mei Li, Senior Editor for Platt's, who covers steels, metals and bulks, and Paul Grunwald, Chief Economist Asia-Pacific for Standard & Poor's, S&P. There's been a lot of excitement and, quite frankly, bullish sentiment recently with price rises across the metals and energy complexes, partly, it seems, as a result of positive noises coming from the National People's Congress, the annual meeting of China's legislative body in Beijing. On the other hand, recent data has been rather disappointing. Paul, we've had a number of official announcements of this year's MPC, including the outline of the key themes of the 13th five-year plan, which starts this year and then finishes in 2020, and as well as the key targets and tasks of the year ahead delivered by China's Premier Li Keqiang. Economically, I didn't think there were any huge surprises in what we heard, the need for structural adjustment, transforming the economy, urbanisation. But I think that 6.5 to 7% GDP growth rate caught some people by surprise. What's your thoughts? Well, first of all, I agree. Most of the content was pretty sensible about restructuring the economy and dialing back a bit on the investment in the overinvested sectors. We've been advocating for some time that the Chinese authorities should move away from targeting a growth rate. It almost looks like a guarantee. So Premier Li moving to this range of 65 to 7% growth this year uh, is a positive step. On the downside, I tend to think I think that growth rate is still a bit too high and too ambitious. If we're going to put China on a more sustainable path over the medium term, I'd prefer to see that growth rate a bit slower, maybe a bit slower on the investment front, but uh, broadly positive for the MPC, I think, this year. Yeah, Hongmei, I mean, you know, Li Keqiang's report uses language like painful adjustment and we just have to get through this process in order to reinvigorate the economy. But it seems to me at 6.5 to 7%, what they're really going to do is keep on supporting the SOEs and especially these industries like steel and coal suffering from overcapacity. Yes, I tend to agree uh, with Paul and you as well, uh, talking about 6.5% uh, to 7%. Although it's a kind of range, it sounds like kind of guarantee thing. And also last year, although it says that around 7% and in the end they achieved 6.9%, but I believe this year's outlook will be far, how can I say, more dismal from last year. You're having a lot of things to deal with. That overcapacity is one of the biggest issues. So you are facing the contribution from heavy industries such as coal and steel will be going down tremendously. So how you are going to achieve this 6.5% to 7% range is kind of a question mark to me. Yeah, and one, look, one of the key themes that comes out of the five-year plan and the work for this year is what the you know, government are calling structural reform, and in particular, supply-side reform, which I take as kind of, you know, dealing with overcapacity across industry, especially in sectors like steel and coal sectors. What are your thoughts on that? You've been writing about this. What are you hearing? Okay, the thing is, for steel and coal, are definitely are the two uh, industries being identified and highlighted for this year's uh, overcapacity battling targets. And then for the steel industry, they're talking about in the next five years, they are going to remove 100 to 150 million metric tons per year of crude capacity from China's market. And then if I'm talking about coal industry, actually the target was even more uh, ambitious. They're talking about 500 million just eliminated from the industry, another 500 million by consolidation. But of course you can have whatever target you have, but it's just that I don't see how you can do it in the next three or five years. 
Because the steel industry, for example, 100 million divided by five years, there will be 20 million, which is not ambitious. But the thing is, how can you categorize the steel industry? How, to, how can you identify who is supposed to be eliminated and who is not supposed to? So that's kind of a hard thing. All the details are kind of lacking in this big, big ambitious target. Yeah, Paul, I mean, I, I wonder about this. I mean, the government wants to make these difficult reforms. And at the same time, I wonder if they were really to reduce all that overcapacity and make that structural adjustment. So many wages that, you know, form part of the consumption side of the economy depend on investment. If you bring back investment that much, you're going to have problems hitting your GDP growth rate, but also, ironically, supporting the consumption side of the economy, aren't you? Yeah, well, one of the surprises has been how resilient consumption has been. Uh, real consumption growth is close to 10% in China right now. So that half of the economy is adding about four percentage points to growth. So that, to me, provides some cushion if we're going to move a bit more aggressively on the investment side. I agree with Hong Mei. This has got to be some combination of consolidation, exiting of firms. Uh, you want to do it in a roughly or more or less smooth way because China has the capacity to do this because it's a self-financed country. But I think directionally, we're not quite there yet. I still see the path of the economy as one where the imbalances are growing more slowly than before, but they haven't been kind of stabilized and reduced. And I think that's what really needs to happen over the next couple of years. And I think investment growth should really slow down even a bit more as long as consumption is able to hold up and, you know, pick up some of the slack. But Hongwei, I wonder if local governments really have the capacity to do this. I mean, look, everyone agrees they should cut investment, we should get rid of this overcapacity. But you take these small you know, steel towns in Herbei, if you do lay off all these people, does that form a kind of social problem for the government? How can they cope with that social unrest? I think Sebastian, you're spot on talking about this kind of social stability. That is one of the things the central government local authority cannot afford to lose and cannot afford it to happen. Uh, so when we are talking about capacity thing, we have to remember that a lot of human resources will be retrenched in the industry itself, like coal and steel. The central government mentioned that 1.8 million people will be losing the job, so kind of relocated to other industries. But I just don't see any industry that will be big enough can accommodate such kind of huge uh, workforce. And that's why I believe like for the local authority and the central government, even the financial subsidy may not be enough. You have to figure out the other job opportunities to absorb this kind of redundant people. I think that's right. One thing to remember here is there's no foreign funding, so China can really control the pace at which this happens. They still have constraints and they don't have forever, but I think they should get moving. But also this restructuring away from investment is supposed to be toward a consumption-driven, services-driven tech economy. And China has to figure out a way to get the funding and the resources so that part of the economy can grow and absorb some of these workers. It doesn't magically happen that someone who's working in a steel mill becomes a, a tech worker or there has to be some, some training and some exiting, etc. But uh, these are complicated issues, and I think the uh, authorities know what needs to be done, but it's not politically painless. So again, they've got to find the right path and they're not at the mercy of any foreign creditors as far as this goes, so they can control the pace. But I still wonder, you know, if we look back to the late 90s, early 2000s, Premier Zhu Rongji, the famous, you know, reformist Premier, who made all those difficult decisions and really set the economy on the right foot. You know, is that where we are now, or is this going to be much more difficult? Have they got the political will to do what needs to be done? 
Well, first, it's always easier to do the reform when the economy's strong. I used to work for the IMF, and one of the rules of thumb we always had is no one ever did the reforms when the sun was shining and growth was high. They were always kind of backed into a corner when growth was slowing down. China's not in this kind of doom and gloom scenario where they have to absolutely do everything right now. But, uh, you know, the spirit of Zhurongji, I think, has to be maybe resuscitated a bit for some kind of meaningful reforms and, you know, getting the structure and some of the details around these things that were mentioned in the NPC. As Hongmei said, the broad direction seemed okay, but we're lacking some of the details and the implementation. Actually, I only want to add one more sentence to Paul's comment. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, you know, uh, just notice how, how long Zhurongji stay in power. That says it all. Because Zhurongji, of course, is very determined and try to change the policy and try to change the environment. But then in the end, he kind of, you know, he's not really a kind of a winner in the whole situation. That says it all. Yeah, I have to be unpopular sometimes. Part of leadership. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. But, you know, being unpopular in the power may not be like you know, welcoming by the other parties. And then and NDW, you have to step down. Fascinating stuff, guys. Um, look, when it comes to China and its policies, there's always a lot to discuss. And I think we've only just touched on it. But sadly, that's all the time we have for today. Catch Brussels to Beijing again next month for another Commodity Policy Podcast. Paul and Hongmei, thank you for being here. And you, thanks for listening. Thanks very much. Thank you.